There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There is a place just for you. A place that embraces the promise of a warm spring night and a reminder to hurry home on a cool autumn evening. It is a place that exists above and below, where the surreal and sublime dance cheek to cheek. This is a place just for you to sit back and enjoy. Beautiful tales for the disenchanted. Our tale tonight is entitled The Ultimate, Chapter 31. Well, this proves you're still somebody. Christy finishes off his cigarette and throws it to the ground. Robert walks over and picks up the butt, placing it in his pocket. I'm pretty certain with how fucked everything in the world is, my tiny act of littering isn't going to make a difference, she says. They walk away from the police station and toward Christie's car parked in front of the Napier Hotel, dark and empty. We used to eat there all the time, says Robert. A lifetime ago, when we were kids, says Christy. Do you miss those times? Nah, says Christy, but I'm glad I lived them. Yeah, I guess, says Robert. Christy opens the door to her car and climbs into a seat while Robert gazes at the Napier for a moment longer before sliding into the passenger seat. 
Inside, Christy has taken off her leather jacket and reveals her tattered t-shirt that bears Chrissy Amphlet pouting above a purple and pink font. Nice to vinyls t-shirt, Robert says. Thanks. Vintage too. Christy replies while slipping the seatbelt across her body. She puts the car into gear and slowly pulls away from the curb, turning right onto Brunswick Street. They drive to the intersection and sit in silence, patiently waiting for the red light to change. The only noise, the sound of a street cleaner whirring past them at the stoplight. Robert thinks it looks like an oversized Star Wars droid, picking up the refuse and mistakes of the previous night. Above them, the sky threatens to rain. Again. What did you mean about me being somebody? Robert asks. It means you still have some cash, eh? Christy says impatiently, tapping her fingers on the steering wheel. If you were anyone else, you'd have a different outcome this morning. I have to say, thank fuck they were Australian security guards. If this were America, I'd be identifying your corpse at the morgue. Well, when you put it that way, says Robert without bothering to finish the sentence. He's tired. He needs to go to sleep, but he can't be rude to Christy. He woke her in the middle of the night to come and help him out, and she arrived within the hour. After Kirk disappeared and the security guards calmed down, they called the police and waited for them to arrive. Hey, you're Robbie Lowry, said one of the cops. After a quick discussion between the police and the security, they came to the important conclusion that not only did they recognise him, but they were also fans of his band. One of the younger male security guards had no idea and had to have Robert and his band explain to him. Cool, he said, sounding more like he didn't give a shit. Are you on hard times? Robert was insulted by this question. In fact, it felt like the most obvious question that should be asked. At the moment, I'd say yes, Robert said, wishing he had a better response. He had no desire to explain himself, not at this point. His adrenaline was wearing off and the situation he now found himself in was beginning to feel surreal. They eventually took him to the station where Robert was allowed to make a call. He didn't hesitate and immediately contacted Christy. Please tell me you're not ringing me now about the record offer, she said, her voice thick with sleep. By the time Robert had finished explaining himself, Christy was wide awake and on her way. When Robert finally spoke to the police, he thought about telling them the truth about the idiotic decisions he'd made and why he'd made them, but he knew his story, no matter how truthful, was weird and be difficult for strangers to get their heads around. Instead, he lied and said he couldn't sleep because he had a big decision to make the following day. He was going for a long walk to clear his head when he came across Kirk. He didn't let on that he knew Kirk's name. He just suggested he found him with the Aboriginal instruments and then security appeared. We've got some questions for you, said one of the policemen. For starters, whatever happened to Spiderbait? It appeared everyone was less interested in Robert's part of the break-in and were more interested in reminiscing about the Australian rock scene in the late 90s and early 2000s. It turned out all the middle-aged cops had firm views on what went right and what went wrong with certain bands. By the time Christy arrived, Robert was holding court with stories about what it was like touring the world and playing music. Man, that must have been the ultimate, said one of the cops. For the first time in a long while, Robert agreed. By the time the manager of the museum arrived, Robert had to remember that he could still be in a world of trouble. Luckily, the manager had no interest in pressing charges for two reasons. First, they couldn't find any signs of breaking and entering. It looked like the reason the door was open was because someone just forgot to lock it up properly. What about the instruments, said Robert. 
That was the second reason there would be no charges. Nothing had been stolen. Not one item in the museum had been touched. They had chased after Kirk and found two objects on the ground. They were just sticks of wood, so soft they would barely make any noise if you smacked them together. Robert was confused. He was certain he'd seen carvings in the wood. It must have been a trick of the light. After the lights have changed to green, they enjoy an uninterrupted journey down Brunswick Street and all the way to the front of Robert's house, comfortable in the silence in a way only two old friends can experience. Eventually, Robert speaks. Thanks for coming to the rescue. Shit, Robbie, it's what I do, she says. Yeah, that is true. Robert opens his side door and swings his legs around onto the street. His head is beginning to pound, demanding that he sleep. He stands slowly, his bones cracking and his bottom lip throbbing. He'd bitten it when he was slammed to the ground, an act that everyone was keen to apologise for as soon as they knew he was the lead singer of Dead Fingers Tapping. Hey, Christy, Robert says, leaning down so he can have eye contact with his manager. Sign the deal. Are you sure? You've had a big night. I'm sure I can push it back a day or two. Robert shakes his head. Fuck that. I've made up my mind. If it helps out the rest of the guys, well, then we should do it, I guess. How about you call me later today, when you've had some sleep? Robert nods his head and closes the door. He walks inside his home and his first reaction is to look for Kirk. He looks around, but the house is empty, except for Alfred, who wakes and stretches, looking at him with tired eyes. He hates to admit it, but he's almost disappointed that Kirk isn't here. Yeah, I know, I look like shit, Robert says to his cat. He grabs some cold water from his fridge and drinks straight from the drug, dribbling down the side of his mouth where his lip hurts. In the quiet, he notices a faint hissing noise accompanied by a few clicks. It is a noise that sounds familiar. He follows the noise into the lounge room and finds his record player spitting some vinyl, the needle trapped in the groove of the last song. He watches as the band's name spins hypnotically around and around and around again. One of the youngsters must have turned it on last night but didn't realise the amplifier had to be switched on as well. It must have been spinning all night. He rests the arm back in the cradle and turns off the record player. Robert notices the amplifier is turned on, is slightly confused for a moment, and then turns it off without an extra thought. He walks upstairs and goes to the bathroom. He brushes his teeth and spits toothpaste smeared with blood into the sink. Looking at his reflection in the mirror, Robert sees a defeated man staring back at him. He pulls his hair at right angles. Maybe it's time to have it cut. Robert strips down and leaves his clothes on the floor of the bathroom before shuffling into the bedroom where he promptly falls asleep. When he wakes a few hours later, a dream lingers for a moment, a dream where Kirk, dressed as Ultimate Man, hands him a book amongst the ruins of a derelict building. I have complete faith that will save the world, Kirk said. Then Robert woke up. By the time he was taking his morning piss, the dream had dissipated to such an extent that he didn't even remember dreaming in the first place. Around lunchtime, Robert finally checks his phone. Some missed calls from numbers he doesn't recognise, probably people ringing and asking for money for charities again. There's a missed call from Jemima, a call from the store, and a text message from Nick. I hope you make the right decision, man. Too many exclamation marks, Robert says as he reads the text. He potters about the house for a while, feeds Alfred, and sits down on the lounge. He really has nothing to do and figures he should just go into the store so he doesn't spend the day alone with his boring thoughts. An hour later, Robert walks into Ultimate Comics. When he arrives, Anissa greets him at the entrance, arms outstretched and smiling. You've arrived just in time, she says. Why? 
we just found out Hickman is rebooting the X-Men line in It Has Caused Some Serious Debate, Anissa says. When he responds absentmindedly, she gently touches Robert's arm to gain his full attention. Are you alright, Robbie? Robert waves her off as he walks towards the office. Bad sleep, he says. That's as much as he's prepared to share, and even though Anissa can tell he's hiding something, she lets it go and follows him inside. At the counter, Kylie, Damien and Greg are engaged in a lively conversation. Bringing Jean Grey back from the dead ruined that whole storyline, says Kylie. It is the one thing that shits me, killing off characters as some big event, only to bring them back when they need big sales. Death means nothing in comics. I guess I agree, says Damien. I guess it sort of works with Jean because she's the phoenix and it's inherent in the name that she'll keep coming back, but it does ruin the stakes. Greg shakes his head. Nah, you kids are overthinking it, says Greg. He nods at Robert as he walks in behind Kylie and Damien. They turn briefly to give a couple of hey's before returning to their conversation. When I read these stories, Greg says, I accept that these characters can fly or shoot lasers out of their eyes or have unbreakable claws, etc. If I can accept that, then I can also accept characters coming back to life. Why does that cheapen the story? I want comics to be big. Big stories, big adventures. I think when it's done right, a character coming back from the dead can be thrilling. I'd rather have them around than not. Kylie turns and looks at Robert. What do you think, Robbie? What does he think? At this moment in time, he doesn't really think anything. He looks at Greg and thinks about his answer, then pictures Jill in her bandana. I don't read comics for realism. I read them because I like stories, says Robert. If I want depressing realism, I'll watch the news. If a character comes back to life, well, if they do it properly, I'm all for it. Characters come back to life in serialised storytelling all the time. Just give me a good story. That's all I want. Greg claps his hands together and walks around the counter. Okay, I gotta go, he says. Everyone begins to disperse, and as they do, Greg gently places one hand on Robert's back as they walk towards the office. You look like shit, Greg says. Thank you, thank you very much. Did you get much sleep? Nah, Robert says, barely a wink. They walk into the office, and Greg picks up his satchel so he can slip some papers and manila folders inside. Can I ask a favour, says Greg? Of course. Are you able to be here tomorrow? The kids are fine, but I'd feel better if you were about to keep an eye on things. Robert is about to ask why, but then remembers what Greg has ahead of him. No worries, says Robert. Greg smiles and slings the strap of his satchel over his shoulder. He takes his jacket from the back of his chair and walks towards the door. Is it raining? He says, looking back at Robert. Do we still live in Melbourne? Yeah. Then if it isn't now, it will be soon. Greg nods, giving a comical tip of an invisible hat in Robert's direction and then leaves the office. For the next hour, Robert watches old clips of his band on YouTube, a mild sense of anxiety that someone will walk in and see what he's up to. He winces as he watches film clips where he's miming to songs in various poses, each clip a time capsule that brings back a flood of emotional memories. Everyone looks so young. He marvels at the young men in the band who never contemplated failing and were convinced they had it all figured out. That's the real joy of youth, the steadfast belief that you're the generation that has their shit sorted and will change the world. Once he had enough of watching his younger self, he flips through some comics, but nothing takes his fancy. It turns out, for today at least, he has no interest in superheroes. He bumbles about the office looking for ways to keep himself occupied, and in the end succumbs to the realisation he just needs to go home and sleep some more. You guys good to close up, Robert says as he walks out of the office. 
Oh, good, Damien says, barely looking away from the screen on the counter. Robert looks around and wonders where Anissa and Kylie are. He begins to ask Damien, but changes his mind. It isn't important. Outside, he hails a taxi, and just after he's given his address, Christy calls. I've been talking to some people at the station, she says. They've worked out who your friend is from last night. They said his name is... Hang on, I've got it written somewhere. Harold Denver lost his family in an accident a few years ago. Has struggled with some mental issues, including bipolar, ever since. Have they found him, says Robert? No, not yet, but they feel he'll turn up pretty soon. Tell them to be nice to him. He isn't dangerous. I think he's just, says Robert, pausing to think of the right word, lonely. I think he's just lonely. Aren't we all, says Christy. From there, she moves on to the subject of the possible reunion tour and album deal that is on the table. Unfortunately, she needs an answer about the album today, and Robert acquiesces, saying that he's fine with the reissue of the album and they can add a bunch of demos and songs to fill out the package. When Christy segues into the gigs they can do to promote the album, she realises that Robert isn't present and decides to put him out of his misery and instead will speak to him about that tomorrow. Once he arrives home, Robert is in the middle of paying for the taxi when he feels his phone vibrate in his front pocket. He slips it out of his jeans, but just misses answering it in time. Erica's name appears on the screen and decides he'll return her call later. Deep down, he knows he's not going to call anyone that night. Inside, he rolls a joint and smokes it while sitting in the backyard. Wasn't he going to stop doing this? Not today. He can start his new life tomorrow. Robert looks at the tree in his backyard and notices how the branches stretch over to the back wall. Ha! That's probably how Kirk was getting up the balcony. He rolls another joint, feeds Alfred, and just as the sun sets, he climbs the stairs to his bedroom and falls asleep, half-dressed, cocooned within his quilt and pillows. When he wakes the next morning, he's convinced that for the first time in a long time, he didn't dream at all. Thank you for joining us. You're always welcome here. Remember to avoid danger with strangers and never accept advice from mice. We hope to see you again here soon. Until then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.